Hello. Welcome to the Myths of the Norse. Chapter 3. The Children of Loki. Loki, the shape-changer, had a wife. But as befits a trickster god, he didn't always see that as a problem when it came to seeing other people. His favourite non-wifely friend was a giantess from Jotunheim called Angerboda. With the giantess, Loki had three children. Not one of the three was in any way pleasant, and Odin decided they needed to be dealt with. The youngest child was a daughter, who was named Hel. As we've already heard, Hel was cast by Odin into Niflheim to look after the unheroic dead. There her pale pink upper body and her greenish-black decaying lower body fitted in well, and there she stayed, gloomy and slightly cruel, doling out lodging and provisions to those whose lives were taken by sickness or old age. Loki and Angerboda's middle child was a serpent called Jormungand. He was dealt with quickly. Odin picked him up and threw him into the ocean which surrounds the land. The serpent sank to the bottom, but there he grew and grew and grew. He grew so large he had to coil himself around all the lands of Midgard. Even then, so long was he that his head met his tail and he constantly bit it. But it was the trickster's eldest child which caused Odin the most concern. He was a wolf, and his name was Fenriswolf or Fenrir. Although he seemed to be the same as any normal wolf, he was the offspring of a giant and a god. It was highly likely he'd turn out to be a little troublesome. So, Fenrir was allowed to roam around Asgard. Odin decided the wolf needed to be fed, but only Tyr had the courage to approach Fenrir. It was his duty to bring the food needed to keep the wolf alive, and, probably more importantly, to keep the wolf from having to find his own food. After all, who knows what, or more importantly who, he would have eaten. Tyr fed Loki's eldest every day, and the wolf thrived. Before too long, it became abundantly clear that he was growing bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. Prophecies were heard, telling of the harm that Fenrir would eventually do to the Aesir. Odin decided enough was enough, and the Aesir gathered to decide what to do with the ever-expanding problem. The solution they arrived at was that Fenrir should be bound in chains. The gods made a powerful chain which they thought would do the trick, and they called it Lading. They brought it to the wolf and challenged him to wear it. Are you strong enough to break free from this? they asked. Fenrir replied, It seems strong, but I am stronger. The gods shackled Fenrir in the train, but he simply flexed the muscles in his legs and the chain snapped. Odin announced a stronger chain must be made to bind the wolf. The chain was made. Twice as strong as Lading, it was named Dromi. Again they challenged him. Are you strong enough to break free from this? Fenrir looked at Dromi. It seems stronger, but I am stronger still. The gods shackled Fenrir in the new train. Fenrir had grown even stronger since he had snapped Lading, and this time he strained every muscle in his mighty body. He twisted and writhed and beat the chain on the ground. Then, when he thought the time was right, he strained his legs against the binding with such force that Dromi came apart in many places. Pieces of chain flew through the air and landed great distances away. This frightened the Aesir. They began to fear they would never be able to shackle the wolf and that the prophecies may be true. Odin was worried. He knew that nobody in Asgard had the skill to construct a stronger chain than Dromi but he knew a man who could. In fact, he knew a short man who could. The Allfather dispatched Frey's messenger Skirnir the Bright One to Svartalfheim to find some dwarfs who could make a binding 
far stronger than a mere chain. Skirnir found the dwarfs, hundreds and hundreds of them. He promised them more gold than they could dream of if they made a fetter strong enough to bind the wolf-child of Loki. The dwarfs whispered to themselves, and then told Skirnir they accepted the bargain. In the darkened gloom they shuffled off and set to work. In a very short time they delivered Gleipnir. Gleipnir was not like Lading, and it was not like Dromi. It was not a chain. In fact, it seemed it would have no strength, and certainly wouldn't be up to the task of binding a seriously scary wolf. It was smooth and soft like a ribbon of silk. Skirnir pulled and twisted it and tried to break it, but he found it to be tougher than anything he'd handled before. He asked the dwarfs what it was made of, and they whispered the answer into his ear. Frey's messenger nodded and then carried Gleipnir back to Asgard. When Odin saw Gleipnir, he was far from impressed. When he pulled and tucked at its ribbony form, he began to believe, and then he asked Skirnir what the binding was made from. It is made from six elements, came the reply. The dwarfs told me what they were. The first is the noise of a cat's footsteps. The second is the beard of a woman, and the third is the roots of a mountain. The fourth element is the sinews of a bear, and the fifth the breath of a fish. The sixth and final ingredient is the spittle of a bird. And how do I know this is true? Have you ever seen a beard on a woman, or heard the sound of the cat's footsteps? Has anyone ever discovered the roots of a mountain? No. None of these items has been seen by man or god. They have been safely kept by the dwarfs. Odin was convinced. He packed the magical fetter and led the Aesir to a lake called Amsvartnir and called for the wolf to follow them. Altogether, they travelled across the water to an island called Lingvi. Once they were there, Odin produced Gleipnir. He passed it to Balder, who then passed it on until each of the Aesir had tested its strength. Nobody came close to being able to snap it or stretch it. A few muttered the wolf would surely break Gleipnir, even if they couldn't. Fenrir, though, was not convinced. He knew magic when he saw it. It seems to me this band is made to look unimpressive, he said. It seems I would be able to break it without breaking sweat. It seems to me, though, that it must be made with cunning and treachery. I will not let it bind me. No, Fenrir, replied Odin. You will quickly snap such a weak binding. If you can, then you will be free. If you can't, then we will have no need to fear you. Why would we fear a wolf who can't break such a puny tether? Fenrir laughed. If you bound me in a way that permitted me no escape, then you would betray me. I don't trust you. You would not set me free. The wolf looked around the Aesir, and then seemed to smile. If I am to trust you, then you must trust me. I don't want to be seen as a coward who won't be bound by a ribbon, but I must see courage from you. I will be tied up in this puny-looking fetter if one of you will put his hand in my mouth. The gods looked at each other in something approaching terror. Odin looked at his fellow gods, and so did Thor. Neither of them spoke, and neither of them offered to be the one who would trust the wolf-child of Loki. Baldur looked around at the other Aesir and saw no willingness until his eyes met those of Tyr. The bravest of the Aesir raised his right hand and, without another word, laid it in the wolf's mouth. Suddenly the rest of the gods were silent and frightened no more. They grabbed hold of Gleipnir and wound the enchanted ribbon around Fenrir's legs. When its entire length was nearly used up, they tied it securely. The wolf was bound. 
Fenrir strained against the supernatural strength of the ribbon. He tensed his muscles and kicked against it with more strength than had been required to send pieces of dromi flying through the air. But Gleipnir did not break. In fact, it seemed to strengthen, with each attempt to rip it or stretch it apart. The more he strained, the tighter the binding became. Fenrir knew he was beaten, and so did the only thing left to him. He snarled and he sneered and he looked tear in the eyes. Then he clamped his jaws shut with all the venom he could muster. Brave as he was, the pain was too much for Tyr, and he cried out in anguish. He withdrew his arm and looked at it in horror. His right hand was missing. Fenrir had bitten it clean off. The rest of the Aesir were relieved that Fenrir was finally bound. They led the wolf away, dragging him by the part of the fetter that hung loose after the binding was tied. This they called Gelgia. They passed Gelgia through a hole in a huge rock called Gyol. They drove the stone deep into the earth and fastened it there. Then they forced an enormous boulder called Viti on top of Gyol and drove both even deeper into the earth. The wolf still struggled. He opened his mouth wide and tried to bite the Aesir as they ensured he was permanently tied to the earth itself. When his mouth was at its widest, one of the gods thrust the point of a sword into the roof of it. Then the hilt of the sword was forced down onto the wolf's lower jaw. Fenrir's jaws were wedged apart and there he stayed, drool dribbling from his permanently gaping mouth. And he waited there, for the time when he could fulfil the prophecy. There he waited for Ragnarok. Loki wasn't present when his children were dealt with. It's not known how he felt about it, and given that he was a trickster anyway, we'll never know whether his next escapade was intended as revenge. Loki decided it would be good sport to have a bit of fun at Thor's expense or, more specifically, at his wife's expense. The lovely Sif had long golden hair, which shimmered and shone a thousand yellow hues every time she moved her head. One night, Loki crept into her room in their hall and silently cut off Sif's hair. Now this kind of prank was unlikely to go unnoticed, and indeed Sif was not pleased at all with her new bold look. She wept for the loss of her golden locks. Thor was furious. Neither of them knew who had cut off Sif's hair, but there was only one god who had a reputation for that sort of thing. Thor stomped over to see Loki and accused him of the act. Loki didn't try to deny it, and protested he'd only done it as a joke. Thor threatened to break every bone in Loki's body, and was only prevented from doing so by Loki's promise that he would get the dwarfs to make new hair for Sif, from gold, hair that would grow like any other. Loki knew the dwarfs could make the item he needed. Now all he needed to do was find a way to pay them for it. After all, the dwarfs had had to be paid handsomely for making Gleipnir. Loki's chosen dwarfs were the sons of Ivaldi. He told them he needed new hair for Sif, and that it needed to be magical so it would grow on her elegant head. And what will be our reward? replied the sons of Ivaldi. Why, the thanks and love of Thor and Sif, and my oath I will repay you in full when you need me to, came the sly reply. The dwarfs decided this sounded okay, so they made new hair for Sif. When they had finished, they and Loki knew they'd created a masterpiece. The hair lay over Loki's arm like a single sheet of gold, but a tiny breath of wind was enough to make the separate strands ruffle. For good measure, they also made a ship called Skidbladnir and a spear called Gungnir. Loki spoke fine words full of praise and compliments and then left without actually paying anything. 
the sons of Ivaldi still thinking they'd got a good deal. Loki had a way with words. But Loki decided not to quit while he was ahead. He thought that the gifts, hair for Sif, the spear Gungnir for Odin, and the ship Skidbladnir for Frey, would get him back into the Aesir's good books, but he also thought he might be able to get something more and really impress them. So the trickster, the sky traveller, went to see a pair of dwarf brothers called Brock and Etiri. He showed them the treasures and watched as they looked over the fine workmanship. Then he made a wager with them. He promised them his head if they could make three treasures as fine as, or finer than, these. Etiri agreed to the deal. He told Brock to work the bellows while he fashioned better treasures than those made by the sons of Ivaldi. Brock must build a perfect fire and keep it right while he worked the gold. Nothing was to distract him. So, after his brother had laid gold and a pigskin on the wood in the furnace, Brock pumped the bellows and soon had built a fine fire. Etiri left the smithy for a moment, and while he was gone, a fly landed on Brock's hand. It bit him, but he was so intent on keeping the fire going, he ignored the pain and the irritation. Then Etiri returned, and he moved the first treasure from the fire. It was a boar with bristles of gold. Etiri added a new block of solid gold and left the hall again and told Brock to keep pumping. As soon as Etiri left the room, the fly returned and settled on Brock's neck. It bit him twice as hard as it had the previous time. Brock was still intent on keeping the fire going and again he ignored the pain. It was harder this time, but he managed it. When Etiri returned, he removed the second treasure from the forge. It was an arm ring of solid gold called Draupnir. It was a magical ring. Every ninth day, eight gold rings of equal size and weight would drop from it. Etiri now added a block of iron to the flames. Again he left the room telling Brock to maintain the fire. This time he was even more insistent. He told his brother the work would be ruined if he stopped pumping. Brock hoped fervently the fly wouldn't come back when Etiri left the room this time, but he was to be sadly disappointed. Just as before, as soon as Etiri left, the fly returned. This time it landed between his eyes and bit him on both eyelids. Even the stoical Brock couldn't bear this. As quickly as he could, he removed one hand from the bellows and swatted the fly away. Just as he was swatting, Etiri appeared. With great concern, he peered into the fire, expecting the worst, but he stepped back with relief. So nearly ruined, he said. And with that, the smith pulled a hammer from the forge. It was massive and perfectly formed, although the handle was a bit short. It was named Mjolnir. Etiri handed it to his brother, along with the other treasures that they'd made that day. In the background, Loki smiled. Go with this gambler back to Asgard and claim his head said Atiri to Brock. Loki and Brock made their way back to Asgard. There the Aesir would judge the treasures and settle the wager. Loki seemed unperturbed. Did he already know that Aesir would judge the treasures of the sons of Ivaldi to be greater than those of Atiri and Brock? When they arrived back in the home of the gods, it was agreed that Odin, Frey and Thor would be the judges. Still, Loki seemed unconcerned, despite seeing Sif's husband on the judging panel. Loki stepped forward and began to describe the treasures. Despite the fact his head rested upon the outcome, he made no attempt to persuade anyone which of the two sets of dwarfs should be favoured. This golden hair is for Sif, he said, handing it to Thor. As soon as she places it on her beautiful head, it will grow, just like the hair she was born with. He turned to Odin. This spear is for you. 
It is called Gungnir. It will never miss its mark. He raised up Skidbladnir. This boat is for you, Frey. It is large enough to carry all of the gods together, but it can be folded up so it will fit into a small bag. The Aesir were mightily impressed with the items made by the sons of Ivaldi. Loki bowed and motioned to Brock, who then described what he and Itiri had made. This is Draupnir, he said, handing the golden ring to Odin. It is for you, Allfather. Every ninth night another eight rings of equal size and weight will drop from it. He then turned to Frey. This is for you. This boar will be the best of all mounts. Any time, night or day, it will carry you over land, sky or sea. Finally, Brock addressed Thor. This is the hammer Mjolnir. You can use it against any enemy and you can swing it with all of your strength. It can never break. If you hurl it, it will never miss its target. No matter how hard you fling it, it will come back to your hand. It's so huge and powerful, but you can make it so small, it will fit into your shirt. The Aesir did not need to consider their judgement for long. As far as they were concerned, all of the treasures were great, but the greatest of them was Mjolnir. Etherian Brock had won the wager, and Loki's head was the prize. But Loki had no intention of losing it. He tried to ask he could ransom it, but Brock said no. So the shape-changer, the trickster, simply fled. Using his shoes which allowed him to fly over land and water, he escaped. Brock told Thor that the new owner of Mjolnir was duty-bound to help him. Thor, it seemed, was in complete agreement, and the Sky Traveller was soon detained. Brock smiled when he saw his foe. He began to take his knife out, ready to cut off Loki's head. This was now his by right. Not so fast, said Loki. You've won my head, but not my neck. Loki grinned. Odin grinned. The rest of the Aesir grinned. It was clear that Loki had got the better of Brock. But the dwarf wasn't to be beaten that easily. He took from his cloak a knife and a narrow strip of leather. If I can't have your head, then I'll sew your lips shut. Then your head may still be yours, but it won't be much use. He tried without success to puncture Loki's lips. He couldn't even draw blood. I really could do with my brother's all, he said. No sooner had he mentioned it than the all was there. Brock, smiling unpleasantly, pierced Loki's lips in many places and sewed them shut with the leather. The trickster left the gathering as the other gods smiled at his distress. It would be painful, but he would free his mouth. And then he would be back. Next time, we'll find out about the creation of the races of men who roamed around Mythgard. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com. There, you'll find a donation button. This podcast is, and will always remain, free. But, if you'd like to donate a little just to help with my hosting costs, then that, of course, would be very welcome. If you'd like to leave me any feedback, or just make comments or ask questions then please email me, mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.